Transformative change is difficult, but it can also be a powerful catalyst for growth and innovation. My name is Michael Carter, and I am the president and managing partner of Level 5, and you are listening to the Opportunity Unleashed podcast. Each episode, I get to speak with an inspiring business leader who has successfully championed transformative change within their organization and or have had to navigate it within the market they play in. Regardless of the challenge, they have demonstrated incredible leadership throughout the journey. On our last podcast, we welcomed Brett Belchitz, founder and CEO of Maple, Canada's preeminent provider of access to high-quality virtual healthcare experiences. Brett's story was so good, we didn't want to cut it down into a single podcast. As such, we broke it into two. We pick up where we left off last time, learning more about Brett's personal journey, what he's learned along the way, and how he has adapted his leadership style to meet the ever-evolving needs of his business. I want to switch gears for a second. I want to kind of talk about you as an individual, you as a business leader. And I found your evolution of your career quite fascinating. Started McKinsey, became a medical practitioner, emergency room, now moved into business builder. So what was, what do you think some of the biggest challenges you faced kind of taking your doctor hat off and moving into founder, entrepreneur, business leader? And what did you, what, what could you take from being there? What did you learn as a doctor that actually benefited you coming into this environment as a business leader? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll start with the challenges uh, because I think there's many. Uh, so one thing that, that, I'd say physicians are are not short of is is confidence and hubris, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think probably most doctors would would not disagree with that statement. And 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 that's a required part of the profession. You need to be, as a physician, almost like a military leader, because when I step into the emergency room, I am I am the ultimate boss, and decisions need to be be made quickly. And if same like on a battlefield, if if the people that are working with me are questioning my decisions there's going to be a lot of problems that result uh, when that happens. So we need to be able to have ultimate authority, quick decision-making, no questioning. That that works quite well in an emergency room. That does not work well <laughs> at all in, in a business environment. Yep. And, and so when I uh, stepped into these shoes and, and when we, when we started this business, I had been practicing actively in the emergency room for about 11 years. And so, so, even though I had worked in business previously as yep. a management consultant, where it was very consultative, very collaborative, um, where where you know we were very thoughtful, dissension was encouraged, etc. Most of that had gotten beaten out of me over you the years. Developed some new habits. <laughs> yes, and, and so um, coming into this environment, where all of a sudden you're very used to being the last word on everything. And being an authority on everything, it was a really big challenge to be able to tone that down, to change the way that I operated. Because had I stepped into this business, and actually I did step into this business initially working this way, thinking like, yeah, I'm the guy that decides everything. Don't you it's dare question me. Mm-hmm. My way or the highway, I know I, I am the subject matter expert on everything. Um, a, nobody would want to work with you in business. And B, you would, you would end up with a terrible outcome. Because the reality is, coming into this business, um, yes, I was a subject matter expert. So on, on the healthcare system, on the medical practice, I'm absolutely subject matter expert. There's no question. Um, but I had no expertise in terms of product building. I'd never built a, a, a consumer-facing product. Engineering, I, I couldn't write one line of code. Yep. I, despite having done management consulting, had no idea how to actually organize and operate a business. So 
I had never set up a customer support team and I had never set up an accounting function. I had never built a marketing function, all, you know, so on and so forth. All of these areas of business that have nothing to do with the subject matter expertise and have everything to do with knowing how to operate a business or build a product, et cetera. Um, had I tried to be the person that says, I am going to be the ultimate boss in all these areas, I, I guarantee we would have had a really terrible product that was very disorganized. So um, the biggest challenge I would say for me in the early days was was actually toning down that that innate feeling that I had to be the boss, which mm-hmm. came from an environment where I had to be the boss. And, and so it, it took a couple of years, I think, for me to really learn how, how to control that and how to adapt to a different way of operating. But I think, uh, you know, one of... I think the things that I'm most proud of is the fact if I compare how I manage today to how I managed when we started the business, it's, it's like night and day. It's, it's two completely different styles. Um, and I think that answer I gave you, you know, you asked me the question of, you know, what, what were the strengths that I, that I brought to the table? I think the strengths that I brought to the table was very clear subject matter expertise. So we were operating a technology business that operated in the healthcare space mm-hmm. and this is one of the most complex regulated environments you could ever choose to operate in. And I would actually not recommend to most people to operate <laughs> in this space for many, many yep. reasons. Um, but within that space that we were operating in, I could be a leader that worked with 100% confidence. I didn't need to check manuals or do research to understand how the system worked that we were operating in. I knew the rules inside and out. I knew how to speak to healthcare providers. I knew how to speak to regulators. You had to speak to politicians about what we were doing. And so that was immensely helpful, particularly in the early days when a lot of people couldn't understand even the legality of what we were trying to do. So overall, you know, tons of challenges um, adapting from being a healthcare provider. Uh, But what I would say is being a healthcare provider in this space is probably an immense asset because uh, I was able to, you know, adapt the behaviors, but that knowledge base that I brought with me would be very, very difficult for anybody who hadn't intimately worked in the space to create. The other one which I appreciate about your background too, and you talked to it a little bit, is you know, in the emergency room, you're having to make quick decisions with less than perfect information and different consequences if you're making bad decisions. But for me, certainly from a, as an entrepreneur and building a business, you're not looking for perfection. And so you're, that to me is a skill that translates well because you're having to take in, like you said, input from everybody. You've got the expertise and experience from your being a medical practitioner, but running a business, building a business in areas that you don't have any experience in. And just love your comment on that because I think that is one of the things I thought of that would kind of translate incredibly well moving into business, especially when you're starting from scratch and you've got to build and grow. And this is really about progress, not perfection, because you get stumped, especially if you're in the environment that you're in and trying to make this thing scale as fast as you can. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. A hundred percent when, when you're building a business like this, um, you're constantly making big decisions on, on a, a real scarcity of information. You know, you're getting 10% of the data and trying to extrapolate what that really means. And, and you're making key business decisions based on that. And it is very similar to what, what you do in the emergency room, not in all areas of medicine. There's lots of other areas of medicine that are much more deliberative and, mm-hmm. and, and you take your time and you get all the facts and you don't make the diagnosis till you have all the facts. But in the ER where everything is very time pressured, <laughs> yeah. patients are not stable, you kind of have to make your best guess and go for it a lot of the time because if you get it wrong, things are going to go very wrong before you can get all the information. So it is very similar. Um, I think the other area in which that background has really helped a lot is 
running and starting a business like this is really stressful. Mm-hmm. There, there's no question. I, I, I don't think there's any startup founder uh, who has successfully gotten a business past the first few months w- will say that it was a stress-free existence. Like every, every element of this on every day is stressful. Um, but for me, the funny thing is when I look at the kind of stress I'm facing, so the, the level of stress that I faced every single shift in the emergency room where I was bombarded with a massive number of patients, you know, 10% of whom were critically ill and potentially at risk of dying, where we were short of nursing staff, short of CT scanners, short of everything. Um, that kind of stress is just a whole level above. So it's funny because one of the questions that that I get a lot from people on my team is, it's weird that you seem so calm in this really difficult, <laughs> challenging day. You know, the government just went on the attack against us or whatever yep. else happened has happened that is really, you know, quite difficult for the business. How is it that you seem so not fussed over it? And the reality is for me, um, whatever it is, it's one-tenth the level of stress I faced in my previous job. And the fact that in this job, you know, nobody's going to die if I don't get the answer right now in this moment. And we've got lots of time to be creative, to problem solve, to think about things. And by lots of time, I'm not talking about years, but at least yeah. days or hours to think about things. This to me, this to me is... Um, this is not a hard thing to do. I mean, it's, it's obviously really stressful, really difficult, but relative to what I did before, and I always put it into that context, this just is not the level of stress that, that bothers me very much. It's interesting. As an aside, I remember in a previous career in consulting, we found ex-military leaders effective in business for a similar reason in terms of the stress and the, the, the urgency with the pressure that they were under on the field or in any military exercise relative to business, it was a skill that translated, but this wasn't nearly as stressful as it was in their historical job or their previous job, which was fascinating. You touched on something about, you know, you've learned where you are today versus when you started the company, your styles had to adapt. And I think of, you know, the evolution of your company from where you were and, and building to now having some scale. And there's an, as we know, there's such an opportunity to take it to another level. Are there other things you think you'll need to adapt as you look ahead and where your leadership style might need to continue to evolve moving forward to keep this company on the path that it's on? Any thoughts come to mind about continuing that journey from an evolution of your leadership style perspective? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think about this all, all the time. And, I, and I'd say, you know, I'll put this up front. I, I actually don't have the answer as to, mm-hmm. you know, where, do, where does my leadership style need to go? But I think for me, when I when I look at the the leadership styles of successful leaders um it, it fits on a spectrum from and there's lots of different spectra but but the spectrum that i look at is there's the very autocratic um visionary leader that that really doesn't allow for i think a lot of meaningful dissent or meaningful input from the team around them. They, they really are the ultimate boss and what they say goes and um you know they have a clear vision of where they're trying to get to so you know examples of that would be um, like a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk, you yeah. know, people who um, they have achieved great results. They're very visionary, but most people who work with them really don't like them mm-hmm. very much. It, you know, the, it, it's sort of admired from external viewpoints, but not yeah. very much enjoyable work workplace. So the other end of the spectrum is highly collaborative leaders. So leaders not as visionary, um, don't have a clear idea of where they need, where they want to get to, um, believe that their team has a lot to, to offer. And as part of their day-to-day leadership style, they're very much all about present me your ideas. I want to hear from everyone. 
but I think in that leadership style where, where they're very good is they're usually synthesizers more yeah. so than visionaries. So once they've heard all of the viewpoints from their team and the people they work with, they're very effective at synthesizing a viewpoint of to say, from all of what I've heard, this is what I believe is the right answer. And now this is my decision. So they're still quite decisive. Yep. And there's lots of examples uh, of those kinds of leaders that have been very successful uh, going down that path. So I think if I look at my personal evolution, I initially was probably closer to, to you know, the Steve Jobs, Elon oh, Musk coming example, out the ER, right? coming out of the yeah. ER. I, I was the person who said, here's my vision. This is what I want to get to. And, you know, That's it's my way or the highway. Um, and I've evolved, I'd say, very much in the opposite direction. I'd say if you look at my my leadership style now, I, I, I generally have a very good idea of where I want the company to go still in terms of growth, in terms of, you know, where do I think our product needs to go, et cetera. But... It's very highly collaborative and, and I let people around me weigh in very heavily and often what I think is my idea initially, I, I allow myself to be overruled quite regularly. So if the team presents to me things that are better than my idea, I'm, I'm quite willing to discard my idea. Um, one of the question marks I have in my head a lot because we're, we're navigating a lot of challenging waters uh, of late and mm-hmm. I think going forward, particularly with the economy changing and regulations changing, um, I think a lot of those waters may become even more challenging. One of the things I think about a, a lot is, do I need to swing the needle back a little bit in the other mm-hmm. direction? And I don't know. I haven't made this yeah. decision. But but this to me is, is, is a fundamental question of my leadership style in that, have I made it a little too relaxed or a little too easy given some of the environment yeah. that's around us? And, 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 and it may be that what we're doing right now is exactly the right answer. But it may be that that at some point in time, the company actually needs a, a little bit more of a firm push in a specific direction. So if you're asking me, you know, what do I think we need to, to be going forward? What do I need to be going forward? I think the jury's out a little bit. Um, but but for me, I think it's a lot of that dimension is is where there's movement. Right. Um, there are a lot of other dimensions where I feel like my leadership changes. I feel like yeah. my leadership is quite constant on most other axes. I think you kind of answered the question, even though I appreciate you saying you're not sure. The fact that you're open and adaptable and you're, you know, you're very self-aware of not only where the company's at in its evolution, but where you're at as a business leader. And that I admire about you because it's, and I've worked with you a little bit to know that you do take that input and you're, you're aware of and think a lot about what you need to do to become or continue to be a good leader or are there things that need to change? And I think that in of itself is a good answer, right? Because I think there's a lot of business leaders out there. It's just, it's what they know, it's how they behave and they don't adapt. They don't want to learn. That's just who they are versus people like yourself that really understand the context of the environment that they're in. And as things change, recognize they need to change as well. So I think that, that I mean, I think you did answer it quite well in that regard. Um, we talked in a bit of a second part to that. I mean, as we've talked a little bit about, you know, the noise, the misconceptions, all the misinformation, the media, all that kind of neat stuff. Your team has just seemed, from my observation anyway, you guys have persevered. Your team has persevered quite well. They've adapted very well. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts. And I think you actually answered it a little bit already in terms of your style. But how do you keep the team motivated and focused and aligned on the purpose that you've created that is very mm-hmm. clear with all this outside noise? Because that, you know, for myself and the team that had the fortunate opportunity to work with you, that always amazed us. No matter what mm. crap was going outside, you guys were laser focused and everybody across that leadership team, quite frankly, was incredibly aligned to where you were going, what you were trying to achieve as an organization. Yeah, I think part of that uh, outcome is really based on having a really clear narrative uh, of why you exist. Mm-hmm. 
having a very clear narrative of, of what success for you looks like and making sure that that narrative is something that, that the, the right people, not everybody, but the right people very clearly can understand it and are on board with it. So for us, um, the narrative is very clear that, you know, the narrative is uh, our healthcare system is broken. Um, and I think most Canadians would agree that there was actually an Ipsos poll uh, that came out in February of 23 and they surveyed Canadians across the country. And, and interestingly, 85% of Canadians said the system needs drastic change. So Canadians get it. You know, in another era, I think you would have had a different answer. Canadians would have said, we've got the best healthcare system in the world, so on and so forth. But I think Canadians finally do understand our healthcare system is not working. And just to add some data to that really quickly for any listeners that don't know, you know, we have the worst access to healthcare of any country in the developed world. So we have the longest wait times for family doctors. We have the longest wait times for specialist appointments. We have the longest average emergency room wait times. We have the least access to care after hours. Um, I could go on and on and on. on on every dimension, every other country in the developed world is outperforming us. So, so that's the beginning of the narrative. Um, our team is a group of people that believe healthcare is a critical part of our experience. It's a critical part of our quality of life, and they understand that the current system is broken. So now, the second part of the narrative is doing more of the same, which is what our governments have been doing for many years, is not going to fix the problem. So. Our government's perspective in terms of how do we fix healthcare has always been let's let's just spend more money let's mm-hmm. let's put more dollars into the same solutions and the analogy that I always like to give for that it's sort of like the healthcare system is the Titanic steaming towards the iceberg and our healthcare our government's answer to that is let's put more gas in the tank of the Titanic you know let's let's make it steam even faster towards that iceberg um, and, and to you know to all of us I think we all recognize that's not the answer the answer is that the ship has to steer in another direction. So now we have a team that really believes that we're solving an important problem, that there's new answers that are required. And we believe that collaboratively as a group, we're coming up with some of those answers, not, not the whole answer. I mean, healthcare as a whole is such a big problem that we're not going to solve it. But when we look at, you know, what I said to you before, which is that Canada has the worst access to healthcare of any country in the developed world, yet less than half of our doctors are working full year, full time. I would argue that one of the single biggest ways we can fix healthcare is how do we get those doctors actually working full year, full time? How do we use the doctors we already have versus what we've heard traditionally from governments, which is let's make more spots in medical school and in 20 years we'll have a new doctor or let's (laughs) import doctors from other countries, which to be honest is I think a terrible solution because a, you know, there's obviously quality issues, but B, um, we're just robbing another healthcare system. So, so, so even if they're wonderful doctors, yes, we've helped Canada, but is that the kind of country we want to be that, that we solve our problems by harming other nations? I, I don't want to go down that path. So now our team understands all of this and our team has basically come together to say the system's broken. We didn't break the system. The system is something that we all inherited that's broken. Um, unfortunately, political leadership does not have the, the fresh ideas to fix it. We have spotted where there's one of the greatest levers available to fix this system, which is let's get more of our doctors to actually use their capacity to help people and let's build this system that solves that problem. And everything else is noise. Everything else is noise. And our, and our team, we've been very effective at getting those, those points across, that narrative across. And so whatever else is happening 
you know, people are, you know, you're hearing noise around, you know, Maple stealing doctors from the healthcare system. You hear noise around how dare Maple charge for access mm -hmm. to healthcare, et cetera. What our team is able to do is tune all of that out. They're able to say, we don't care because we know that the current system isn't delivering and we know that we are. And that I think is something that everyone's universally aligned in. Uh, and I think not only that, it you know permeates end to end in the organization. So it's making the team aware. It's also making sure that people that we hire are on board with that. So um, if you are somebody who is, you know, dead set in, you know, Canada's got the best healthcare system in the world. We shouldn't change the way that we do things. <laughs> Innovative models, you know, you know, shouldn't exist or um, there is no role for private enterprise in Canada's healthcare system. We're, you're probably oh. not the right person for us to hire. And so by hiring the right people, by making that narrative very clear and repeating that narrative over and over again and making sure our team members really believe that narrative. Yeah. Um, I think that is the thing that has been so effective at having an organization where everybody is rowing in the same direction, no matter what. And that's part of the other thing, which I love what you touched on earlier as a leader, you mentioned, you know, because of where you've come from, things don't phase you nearly as much as they might other people. And so again, I think as your team looks up to you for how to react to certain situations or noise, and not seeing panic or big ebbs and flows in your kind of position certainly helps as well, right? Because you're kind of laser focused on what you're doing. You're not reacting. They they watch you for those triggers, those signals. And I think that being part of your style probably helps as well in a big way. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I, you know, I think um, having a leader who, who is uh, anxious or, or panicky <laughs> is never a no. good thing. I, I don't even no. care what industry you're in. Agreed. That's never good. Um, it's funny because, you know, I always think about the, the sort of popular media conceptions of, of, you know, the successful tech CEO. And it, again, it goes back to the Elon Musk or, or Steve Jobs kind of CEO. You know, you see these images of, of the leader who's getting angry and yelling at everybody that it's not good enough. And, it, you know, I, there's, there's one side of their leadership style, which, and again, I, we don't know the reality because yep. I've never been in the room in, in, amongst their leadership. There's the one side, which is like, I've got a very clear vision. I, I'm, you know, a mad innovative genius and a perfectionist. And, um, and I, I don't want anybody to argue with me. And I understand how that can get results, but that sort of angry, uh, anxious side of leadership, uh, that to me, I, I'm always sort of stunned that if that existed, that that could actually end up in success because the flip side of being angry is it looks like you're out of control. And if you're angry as a leader, what it says is you're also very anxious because you, you ne you're never going to get to that point of anger if you're not anxious that the that the outcome is going to be safe and, and good for everyone. And so, you know, what I always think about is um, in, a, in an organization like that where leadership is, is behaving in that manner, how do the employees not constantly fear for the safety of the company? Not only just of their own positions, yeah. but the company as a whole. So I think I think having a steady hand and, and a steady mood is, is really, really critical. But... The only caveat I'll say is there has to be in a calm way, full transparency. Right. So you have to be, you have to, you can't hide challenges. You have to be open about challenges. And so one of the things that I always do with the team is, you know, particularly among some of our more recent challenges is to say, I'm not going to tell you there aren't challenges. Here's what they are. One, two, three, here's how we're dealing with them. And, you know, this is something that I believe we can all get through together, but you know, we would be remiss if we didn't admit that these are real challenges. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. Okay. Last question. You've been at this for more than a decade. You've learned a lot through this journey. You've adapted yourself. You could wind the clock back and give some advice to your younger self just starting out. What, what advice would you have for yourself? Uh, 
that's that's a really good question. Um, I, I think uh, there's a lot of advice just around um, you know growth of the company, taking an investment, um, you know which partners you choose. Uh, launching the company, and, and you know, I know you asked for one piece of advice, but uh, there, and then more as a leader, yeah. I guess, if you will, knowing like how yeah. how you were going to lead this company and mm-hmm. persevere and get to where you are today. Yeah. So I think I think number one is just be. I think in the early days, uh, be less of a perfectionist and more willing to get out there. That that would be my number one piece of advice. So we we started the business. It's not quite a decade. So we started the business. Uh, we incorporated the company in 2015. So we're now eight years, okay. um, and we started building our platform right away, and we didn't launch our first services until the fall of 2016. So it like well over a year of product yeah. building and the product was good, but we kept just kept fixating on little areas of, of the product saying this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. Let's do this. Let's do that. And um, what I realized after the fact was that 50% of the things that we thought were so important to get right, <laughs> nobody, nobody cared. Nobody yeah. noticed. These were features that just didn't get touched. And then there's so many other things that actually were critically important that we didn't think of because they only came to light with real customers using the real product. So, so if I could do it again, I would have launched 12 months earlier. Yeah. I would have done the first six months of product building, just gotten into market, get feedback, uh, get get yeah. real feedback, real people using the product. And so that that's something that we've incorporated now. You know, we don't iterate ad nauseum. Like we get things to a point where we can test it with people, have yeah. real people using it, and then we make decisions based on the data that comes in from real usage. Um, I really regret that that big delay because I think I think about what happened in the marketplace over the course of that year and a half. You know, had we launched a year earlier, you know, we were still pretty much the first in market, but we would have been the first in the market by a long, long stretch. And some of the opportunities that ended up getting lost because others launched close to us and happened to capitalize. It wouldn't have even been close. There's land so, grab wouldn't have been available at the time because you were the only, would have been the only We might have grabbed yeah. almost all the land. Yeah. So, so that is, that is, I think my number one learning is, is don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Good. That's fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. It's been a pleasure to, to, to speak with you and see you again and then get your perspective, uh, not only on where Maple fits into the ecosystem and all the great things you're doing, but even your perspective as a, as a leader and how you run the company and where you're taking it. So I appreciate you taking the time and thank you. My pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Opportunity Unleashed, a level five podcast where I profile inspiring leaders who have successfully navigated transformative change in their careers and or businesses. Our goal is to share great stories and hopefully leave you with a few pearls of wisdom that you can learn from. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check back soon for our next interview.